and uh, um, what was the one? Eric. Eric, and just all the ones we've had. Uh, even even last week when Lane was speaking, I was very blessed by that. And the, the one that I have chosen to do, uh, because it's really on my heart and has been for some time, is that Jesus is alive and present. I don't practice that to the degree that I want to, but my batting average is coming up. <laughs> it really is. And uh, particularly when you begin to say you're going to need to speak about it, you really need to know it and need to practice it to be able to speak about it with conviction. My purpose this morning is not to convince you that Jesus is alive or to convince you that he is present. That is something we need to know by faith. My purpose this morning is to have you in your heart answer the question of Jesus is alive and present and active, so what? So what do I do about that? So how does that affect me? What is it that, what does that mean to me? In the early six, or mid-1600s, uh, the Quakers were founded by George Fox. And that was the thrust of their message, that Jesus is alive and present. All of our distinctives come out of that, out of that particular belief, that particular walk. At that time, the Catholics, if you could look at, the, at, at their thrust, their thrust of worship was that Jesus is alive in the Eucharist, in the bread and in the wine. And there may have been other things. I'm not real familiar with all of their, their beliefs. But he was alive in the bread and wine. In fact, the bread and wine, in a sense, became him. The, the Protestant denomination as a whole, the thrust of their message was that the Bible is uh, our, our worship. Not that we worship the Bible, but that's what we focus on. That's what we mainly focus on. And the teaching from the Bible. But the Quakers, in addition to the Bible, was that Jesus is alive and present. So, what? Do we believe it? I'm going to have a couple sayings today that aren't that aren't in the Bible. The principles, I believe, are in the Bible, but the sayings themselves are not in the Bible. And if you have a pencil and you want to write them down, there's something have, that have mean to me, that, that have, have meant a lot to me, because I can go back to these sayings and see where I am, to see what's going on in, in my life. One of, this, one of the sayings is, one of the truths, I should say, is that we don't always do what we profess, but we always do what we believe. Let that sink in a little bit if you've never heard that before. We don't always do what we profess, but we always do what we believe. So whatever it is we're doing, that's what we really believe. We wouldn't do something if we didn't believe it. So the fact that Jesus said, said, where two or three are gathered, there am I also. What does that mean to us? 
This morning, one of the verses that I w comes up over and over to me is that we walk, Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't let our, what we see control what we do. It's our faith that controls what we do. It's what we have faith in. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, like we are, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. This picture, this, your bulletin, if you look at your bulletin, open it up and look at this picture. We have this print in our home. We have had for some time. And it has always meant a lot to me. But it means even more to me now. I don't know, you can see Jesus in here. I'm trusting you can see him in here. Do you? Yes. Yeah, okay. Can you see him here now? No, you can't. But what if Jesus called the office this, this uh, what if he had called the office this week and got a hold of Karen and said to Karen, Karen, I'm planning on being in your service this Sunday morning. Karen, let's get the message out that I'm going to be there in your midst this Sunday morning bodily. I'm going to, you'll be able to know that I'm there just with your eyesight. How would that affect you? How would that affect your approach to worship? How would that affect your approach to getting here? How would that affect your approach to bringing somebody? How would that affect all of these things? I was going to ask you to answer that question just out loud, but I think I'm I think I've suggested enough things that you already have some things in mind and we won't go there. But I'm going to take, just for, just to help us, I'm gonna put this chair up here during the service. And I want you by faith to picture Jesus being here this morning in this chair. Let this be a reminder to you that he is here. To me, Quakerism, and I believe Christian life, is above all else, knowing the presence of the living God by experience, not merely in words or in doctrines or in symbols, but in spirit and in truth through God's Son through God's living and present son. Because to me, that affects me more than I ever realized. The main purpose of a Quaker meeting, and I believe a Quaker should be in every Christian meeting, is to worship and hear from God. We believe he is alive, present and active in all those who love him. He speaks hears and acts directly and indirectly through each of us. Not just through me, not just through a pastor, not just through, but everyone who loves Jesus Christ, he is in them. The Bible confirms that, the Bible states that. Jesus stated that. What are the advantages of that? Richard read the biography of Steve Jobs a few weeks ago. 
we read the Bible, which is in a sense a biography or an autobiography of Jesus and his life here on earth, a bodily experience with Jesus, with the, his disciples. Sometimes we can say, boy, I wish I was a disciple because I would have really liked to have been there where Jesus was and seen him. Really what we're saying is, my faith is not enough to be able to picture him and be with him right now. I want to see him. You think Richard would know more about Steve Jobs had he knew him personally, physically, than if he just read his, read his biography? We read about Jesus, and we know him that way, and that's an important thing. But how much more important is to know him personally, firsthand? There's a saying, this isn't one that uh, I'm particularly in, in thrall with, but it fits. Out of sight, out of mind. And that's where we find ourselves. If we don't, I mean, I can see something, still be out of my mind, out of mind, but, and out of my mind. But we find ourselves in a situation, if we don't see something, we just, it doesn't come to, to fruition. We have to practice that. We have to practice the fact that Jesus is there. We have, to, we have to train our physicalness to, by our spirit, to practice the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus is alive and he is present, we can talk with him, we can listen to him, we can thank him, we can worship him, we can have a personal, personal experience. We could not have that if Jesus wasn't alive and present. We couldn't have that personal experience. We just couldn't. It has, it's a personal. So I've read some things, some people said that you can have a personal experience with a thought with an idea, with a thing. Maybe the correct word is interpersonal, intrapersonal, I don't know. But in any case, for me, a personal relationship has to be a two-way thing. Listening, speaking, back and forth. And in this case, a love relationship. There's the verse in First uh, Thessalonians. Vinny's waiting for me to say some verses so you can put them up on the screen. And I told him, I don't know if I would or not. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Does he really think we should always have our heads bowed, our hands folded, and be in a quiet situation and never depart from that? For me, praying means communicating with God. It means talking with God, listening to God, having fellowship with God, walking with him, following him, enjoying him, just like we would in any relationship that's a good, strong relationship. There was two people who, you may have heard this story, and it's one that's been around a long time. There are two people discussing what prayer really is. And one person was saying, no, when, when you pray, you really need to bow your head. It's really not a good prayer if you don't bow your head. You really need to say, dear Jesus, at the beginning 
or it's really probably not a good prayer. And you need to distract yourself from everything else. And you need to, at the end, make sure you say amen, because that's really, and you, you probably need to follow all the different steps in the Lord's Prayer, you know, all the different things right down the line that he says to do in the Lord's Prayer. And the other guy says, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure that's true. I, he says, I, I can remember a time I was way out, way out in the, a desert area. And um, I fell in this hole, I fell in a well. There was a well out there, I fell down this hole, head first. And man, I didn't do any of those things. I just started asking God to send somebody. God, I need you, send somebody. I didn't think I had my eyes closed. I did have my head bowed, because I was on my head. But, <laughs> but I, I did, and all of a sudden, somebody out of nowhere came and rescued me. And that was the best prayer I ever prayed. I didn't have any of those things. So I think that in, when we practice prayer, it doesn't, there are times for that, there are times to do all of those things. But there are times, and probably most of the time, where we're just going to be talking to Jesus. One thing I'm trying to learn is to talk to Jesus out loud in, in my daily life, in walking around. This is coming very hard for me. But it should come very easy right now, because you, know, you can walk around now and talk out loud, and people think you're on the phone. You know, you don't even have to have your, you don't have to be on the phone. You just talk out loud and they'd look and see if you got your little earpiece. And uh, that's something we can do without ever even being embarrassed about it. Just talk to Jesus. So talking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, having communication with Jesus is really, for me, is having communion with Jesus. That's communion all the time. Now, there are uh, denominations that have communion once a week, once a month. But really, as friends, we believe a constant communion with Jesus is more important, is really what, Jesus, what God is asking us to do to have constant communion with him 24-7. I wanted to say that when I was, I was sitting here before Michael started the service and he said in two or three minutes what it's going to take me 40 minutes to do. Thank you, Michael. You did a great job and stole most of my material. Uh, <laughs> Friends were not the only people who did this. Let me make that clear. There was one person, well, my, my main, my main uh, example for, for this is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was in, within communion with his Father all the time. His thoughts were Jesus' thoughts. He was constantly thinking of, of his Father, constantly. He, he meditated. He practiced solitude, he did all the, all the disciplines all the time, and he did that as an example for his disciples. And he did it because that's where he knew life was. He, life was being with God. Life was communicating with God. We need to take that also, that life is communicating with God. That's where life comes from. God is the author of life. 
in the Old Testament, we are called, and Linda used this verse, we're to love you, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and the Old Testament says with all your strength. Interestingly enough, when Jesus says it, at least the way the gospel writers record it, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. He changed from strength to mind. I don't know the reason for that. Maybe one of you could give a sermon on that. But uh, there's an emphasis change or something. I don't know what that is. But it does talk in the New Testament a lot about the mind of Christ and how we are to have the mind of Christ. It says, um, uh, one of the verses would be, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another one says, may God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. Another says, who has known the mind of the Lord so that as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I started to say and skip through it that the, Jesus is the prime example for me. But one person who has influenced me a lot also is Brother Lawrence. And some of you have read the little book, The Practicing of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence, interestingly enough, was of the same time period as George Fox. Brother Lawrence, I think, was born, you get different dates, but Brother Lawrence, I think, was born 10 years before George Fox, uh, or so, early 1600s, and he died one month after George Fox. But they both had the same emphasis. I want to read you, this, this is the book. I have a number of them. I have uh, six or seven of these books. If anybody would like to have one, I'd be happy to give you one. Uh, brought them with me today. They're a little bit different edition than this, but this is the one that's I've read dozens of times, actually. I've read it a couple times just since this last few weeks. Let me read you a couple of his quotes. What's in here, what's in here are, are interviews with him and somebody reporting on the interview, and also excerpts from letters that he has written to people. And this is back in the, in the 1600s. And Brother Lawrence was not a friend. He was a Catholic, interestingly enough. What I, I found, found that last week, um, last week we had four young ladies here who were Catholic. And, I've, and my wife told me a long time ago that one of the things that we need to do is to find with people a commonality in our faith. Because we can walk up to a Catholic and start pointing out all the things we don't believe. Or we can walk up to somebody who we know who loves God and they're Catholic and find, share with them, oh, I have that same belief, I have that same belief. And this is what Brother Lawrence believed. Brother Lawrence's heart it was a heart that, that learned the most essential ingredient of Christian life, how to remain in the presence of God. There's another one. Brother Lawrence insisted to be constantly aware of God's presence, it is necessary to form the habit of continually talking with him throughout each day. Another. Um, whenever he considered doing some good, some, some good deed. He always consulted God about it, saying, Lord, I will never be able to do that if you don't help me. Because he knew that all of his strength comes from God, especially anything that's going to be good. 
Another thing he, he, he said in a conversation, he said, the most important part resides, most important part rides in renouncing once and for all whatever does not lead to God. This allows us to become involved in continuous conversation with him in a simple and unhindered manner. Another thing he said, God isn't impressed so much with the dimensions of our work as with the love in which we do it. I thought that I particularly liked that one. Sometimes we think we have to do great and wondrous things, but God just calls us to do it in love and do it in love of him. Linda pointed that out very well. Another thing, this one's out of one of his letters. We have to know someone before we can truly love them. In order to know God, we must think about him often. Once we get to know him, we will think about him even more because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And the last one I want, remember what I advise you to do. This is out of one of his letters. Think about God as often as you can, day and night, in everything you do. He is always with you, just as, just as you would be rude if you deserted a friend who is visiting you. Why would you dis be disrespectful to God by abandoning his presence? Do not forget him. Think of him often. Adore him ceaselessly. Live and die with him. This is the real business of Christians, in a word. In a word, it is our profession. If we do not know it, we must learn it. The question is, how do we have the mind of Christ? How do we get this mind of Christ that we're talking about? How do we transform our mind to the mind of Christ? We don't do it by trying harder. We do it by loving God. And what does loving God look like? You've probably already guessed it. It's having an alive, present, active, loving, personal relationship with the living and present Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? We do it by building a relationship with him. A relationship that involves time, a relationship that involves familiarity. Have you ever noticed, I'm so sad that Dick and Gracie aren't here today. They're not, are they? Have you ever noticed, I didn't mean to point them out, but it just came to mind. Have you ever noticed when people live together a long time, maybe you can look at Connie and I, they become like each other? They become, they even look like each other after a while. They are able to finish each other's sentences. They think the same way because they've been around each other a lot. This is one of those sayings you can write down. The mind always takes on the order of upon which it concentrates. If you concentrate on something all the time, your mind, we're very, God has made us in a plastic sort of way that we can, he can reshape us by what, he, by what we think about. If we think about certain things, we'll be reshaped. If they're bad things, we'll be reshaped that way. If we think about other things, we'll be shaped that way. We're always being shaped depending on what we think about. We have to choose what we are to think about. And we're to think about God. In Philippians, I put this down here somewhere. In Philippians, 
God says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think on these things. Why does he say that? Because we will take on that form as long as we do it. And all of these things are really characteristics of God. They are all things of God. We wouldn't apply any of these to Satan or any of his world. We would only apply them to God. In the Old Testament, when he talked to the Jews, he, would, he said to them, these commandments that I give you today, this is right after he has given them the Ten Commandments, he says, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Lane talked about, I speak about a, what comes out of our mouth is what's in our heart. How do we change that heart? How do we change our mind? So these commandments, I want them to be on your hearts. And here's how he tells them to put them on our hearts. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. He says, all the time, in the morning, at night, with your children, when you're sitting down, when you're standing up, when you're walking around, think about them, think about them, think about them, think about them, over and over and over and over. He goes on to tell them to make some symbols to remind them. I could cut this a little shorter by not going here, but I'm going to go anyway. He gives them some symbols to remind them of this thing. And he tells them to put them, put them on their hands, to bind them to their forehead, to put them on their gates, to put them on their doorways so that they are reminded to do these things and so they are reminded that he wants to change their hearts. Well, we automatically jump to the physical things that God wants us to do instead of the spiritual part of what he wants us to do. So if you go to a Jewish home, you will find that they have, if you go to Orthodox, you'll find that they have these little boxes on their foreheads and you have them on their arms and they have them on their, wherever God told them to do them, on their gates, on their doors, on their walls. They may not do what God told them to do, but they're doing the symbol. They're doing the thing that, he, that they were told to do. In fact, I thought one thing that was interesting to me anyway, is when we get into these physical things, because he doesn't give us all the details, we argue over how we should do it. They, you know why? You know why they put them? If you go see a doorway, it's at an angle. You know why it's at an angle in a doorway? because God didn't tell them whether to put them vertical or horizontal, so they compromised and put them at an angle. It's a lot like baptism, or it's a lot like communion. In baptism, should we dunk? Should we sprinkle? Should we do it as a baby? Should we do it as an adult? Well, we'll all pick a different way and we'll all do different things. But the nut of it, the, the, the basic of it is, we're to be in Christ, submerged in him every day. Submersed in him, submersed in his, his love, submersed in his being with him. Friends don't have the sacraments because our lives are the sacraments. 
The sacrament is to be in Christ all the time. The sacrament is to have communion with God all the time. That's the sacrament. The sacrament is our life, not the symbol, our life. What kind of a relationship should we have with God? You can have all kinds of relationships. Some people, and I've been guilty of this, I'd say guilty, this is where we start oftentimes. I don't know the word guilty. We're only guilty if we stay there. Some people have the relationship that God is their physician. It's a physician-patient relationship. I see him, I talk to him when I'm sick. If I'm not sick, I don't need to see him and talk to him. That's my relationship. Some people may have the relationship of a banker and a client. I only go to him when I have banking problems or I have financial problems. How can you help me? They don't see him during the week. They don't see him at night. They don't see him walking along the road. They don't see him any other time. That's when they have the relationship. It might be a marital relationship. It might be a counselor, marital counselor. God wants a relationship that's all of these things. He's all sufficient for all of these things, but he wants more than that. He wants a relationship that is night and day, that is morning and evening, that is all the time in every situation. Is that our relationship? Is that what we do with him? Jesus says we are his friend if we do what he commands. Oftentimes we say, I've even heard it said, I've even heard at times people hear say, well, what kind of a friendship is that? If you do what I say, then I'll be your friend. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I, people will be able to tell that you're my friend if you do what I say. You don't earn my friendship. You know, grace is opposed to earning. But grace is not opposed to effort. We need to put effort into our Christian life. It's the motivation that we do. What is the motivation? So I'm not sure, and, and, and friendship can mean so many different things. In one of the songs this morning, it talks about I'm a friend of Christ. Well, you know, I'm friends with somebody who lives in our block down and around the corner. I see them every year. At least once, at least once. And they recognize me, I recognize them, I'm another friend. That's not the kind of friendship God wants. He wants something closer than that. Michael referenced this this morning. God compares the kind of friendship he wants through Paul like a marriage relationship. He uses the marriage relationship because the marriage relationship is the, is the closest Faith we have on this earth to an intimate relationship. It is the closest thing to an intimate relationship that we can have. We are with that person all the time, for the most part. We can have a physical relationship with that person that is very, very intimate, reserved for nobody else. 
I hadn't intended to say this. I have had in my life, I have broken that relationship with my wife and with God. The two relationships are very similar. I started to say that I've been unfaithful to my wife and to God. But God is calling me up short on that, on saying that, because being unfaithful is not as, well, unfaithful is bad. It doesn't describe the sin. Adultery describes the sin more. I have been adulterous in my life, both with God and with my wife, or against my wife. I just didn't want to gloss over that somehow this was a minor thing. This is a huge thing. God wants a relationship that is faithful. We can trust him to be faithful. We need to be faithful. It's a two-way relationship. We don't want to walk away from God for some other thing that we replace God with, just as we don't want to do that with our spouse. I know not everybody here is married, so forgive me for the marriage part of that if that you can't identify with that. But I think we all know what a marriage is supposed to be like. We all know what is required to have a good and loving relationship. That's what God wants in our relationship with him. He wants to be intimate with us. We can have intimate moments with God. So what does this look like to take God and take Jesus every place we go? Well, first let me say, what gets in our way of doing that? How are we distracted from doing that? In the story of Martha and Mary, is a, to me, is a good example of that. Mary is at Jesus' feet. She's worshiping him. She's with him. She's having this relationship with Jesus. Martha, bless her heart, is wanting to do things for Jesus, but not having the relationship with Jesus. I think this is a th something that all of us can fall into, and probably pastors more than anybody, because they're called to do things for Jesus in a way that at least they recognize it more than somehow we do. Connie said something to me a few months ago. I've been working on my yard. I've been working on things in my mind, in my mind, I was doing these things for her. week after week after week after week after week. I was enjoying it. A lot of it was for me. But in my mind, I pictured it as for her. And she said to me one day, she said, you know, I didn't think retirement was going to be like this. I said, what do you mean? I thought you were going to spend time with me. We can get so caught up in doing things for God, doing things for Jesus, that we don't spend the time with him. It requires time. How can we be distracted? 
Martha was distracted. She was, Jesus even said to her, you're so busy, Martha, you don't have, he paraphrased, you don't have time for me, you're so troubled by all these things. Mary has chosen the better way. Mary is with me, that won't be taken away from her. We have two dogs. We name them Mary and Martha. <laughs> Mary, the reason we named Mary, because this fits so well. Mary will sit at her mistress's feet or in her lap without a care about anything. Martha loves to do that too. But if there's a sound someplace in the house, pew, she's gone. She is gone. She is so distracted when something happens. On Thanksgiving morning, I like to spend time in my hot tub with Jesus. Sounds strange, but I do. On Thanksgiving morning, remember how beautiful Thanksgiving morning was? There was not a wind blowing. There wasn't anything. It was sunny. And it was about, I'm thinking about 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was thinking about my sermon. And I was thinking about, and that's where I spend time with Jesus oftentimes. I was thinking, God, Jesus, what distracts me from you? And you know, Jesus has a sense of humor. My hot tub is right underneath, you know, these beautiful red trees over here that have all the great, the pistache trees, have all the great leaves on them. Right when I ask him that, what distracts me from you? I guess a squirrel jumped into the tree and all the leaves fell right in my hot tub. <laughs> and immediately I forgot about Jesus. Immediately, I was so distracted. I was so distracted from Jesus. It was like he laughed at me and said, Everything distracts you. <laughs> it was like he said, this world is rigged to distract you from me. Everything distracts us from Jesus. And it was true. I have, to, I have a special dispensation this morning from Linda to go as long as I need to go, so I hope you're not real hungry. <laughs> I'll try to skip over some of this right here. We're getting close to the end anyway. What does spending time with Jesus look like in common everyday things? I'll tell you of an experience that wasn't super special other than I had chosen to spend a particular trip with Jesus to the grocery store. How can I walk with Jesus through the grocery store? When I pulled into the lot, I saw a parking place. It was on my side of the lane I was the next car coming that way, and there was a car coming the other way who needed to make a U-turn and get into that spot before I did. Jesus, I brought you here, what do I do? Let them go. They did. Small thing. I went around the corner a couple times and found another spot. I went into the store. I happened to go the route that takes me through the fruit and vegetables. I saw all these beautiful fruit and vegetables, and I began to thank Jesus for all these beautiful fruit and, those fruit and vegetables. He made them all. It was so easy. Nobody made them except him. You know, it wasn't a little toy that was manufactured in China or anything like that. It was a, something he made personally. And I just began to thank him for these things. 
My purpose for going to the store was to buy crab. I hadn't thought about this. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free from the law. I can have crab. I'm set free. I'm not under the law. And I begin to thank Jesus for setting me free. I begin to walk down the aisles, saw different people. Everybody was so busy. But some people looked at me. I was able to do like Linda was talking about, to look them in the face and smile, and nod, tell them good morning, and we walked on. It was a minor thing. I don't know if I'd have done that if I hadn't been practicing the presence of Jesus. I, somehow it came to my mind how different people were. I thanked him for the differences in people. A fellow came around the corner who looked homeless to me. And I, I said to Jesus, help me see this person with your eyes. What do you see? And it was like, I see him as a beautiful, loving, valuable person. I died for him. And I was look, able to look at him a different way. The next person came around the corner was a beautiful, scantily clad girl. Lord, help me see her like you see her. <laughs> and he was able to. I saw, not the scantily clad part, but I saw my daughters in, in this girl. I really did. It was a beautiful thing. Oh, I forgot to tell you one of the things. When I walked into the store, when I walked into the store, ooh, am I doing something bad? Okay. Don't go there. There was a, um, uh, um, Salvation Army bell ringer out in front with their little pot on the tripod. This is a snap Jesus wants me to give, I thought. And I asked him, is this something you want me to do? And I didn't get the feeling that I should do it. What I got the feeling was, not now. I couldn't not figure that out. So I walked into the store and did all these things I'm talking about. There was other things in there that I won't tell you about. I'm going to cut it off a little bit. So when I'm walking out, he said, now's the time. And I looked over. The guy wasn't there. The pot was there. I saw him around the corner having a smoke or something, I suppose. But there was nobody there to ring the bell when I gave. Did you get the message? There was nobody there to say thank you when I gave. I had to give with no recognition. He wanted to teach me. And now I'm saying getting my recognition right. That's what it says. <laughs> so I got, I got back on this. So anyway, when we take Jesus to places, he's going to talk to us. He's going to be active. He's going to be alive. In the judgment, in the end, there's going to be people, people Jesus says, Many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Does that mean that Jesus didn't know who they were? Does that mean he didn't know their names? I don't think so. I think Jesus is using the term, I never knew you, like the Bible uses the term, Adam knew Eve. We never had intimate relationship. You may have done lots of things for me and the things that I've asked you to do, but we never had relationship. We never had the intimate relationship. That's what I want. That's what I wanted. That's what he's calling us for. We're going to close. For me, one of my favorite songs is In the Garden. I used to hate that song with a passion. Because the only time, it didn't seem to have any substance for me, and the only time I heard it was at funerals. But you know, now that I work in the garden, because that's where I find Jesus, you know, you can find Jesus, for me, it, the easiest places to find Jesus is where man has not messed it up. Because you, I can find him easier there. If you go to the beach, you go to the mountains, you go to a river, you go to a lake where there's not overdeveloped or it's not developed, there it's easy to find him, or relatively easy. But in the garden is a place that I find him. When I'm doing my gardening, I find him. When we sing this song, I guess Benny will have the words on that. Um, when he sings the song, pay attention to the words. He walks with me, he talks with me, he tells me I am his own. The joy, joy that we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. If you want joy, spend time with Jesus. Thank you. Mm -hmm.